Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Perception is Reality. It's your host, David. Thank you for listening today and always. I'm excited to have our next guest on the show, Dr. Lindsay Wisner. She is a psychologist, emphasis on the puh, um, I like that. psychologist. Uh, she is also an author, and she will tell us about that momentarily, so everybody hang on. And she is the host of Neurotic Nourishment Podcast, of which you can find on all of your major podcasting platforms. We'll wait while you go find it and star it and, and uh, favorite it. All right. Thank you for coming back. So welcome to the show, Dr. Lindsay. Thank you. Are you sure they've all done that? Because, you know, they have. They, they, they listen well. They do. They're, they're the best audience ever. Excellent. And, um, not to honk my horn, but honk, honk. Um, they're international, so if there's an English-speaking country and several countries that aren't English-first-speaking countries, listen. So thank you for that, everybody. Love you all. Wait a minute, but are you counting, like, the UK and Canada? Because I got some of those, too. Well, when I say English-speaking countries, predominantly, if, if English is the predominant language, then yes. But I'm also talking about African countries uh, like Ooh. Nigeria, uh, Ghana, South Africa. Um, uh, I'm counting Australia, New Zealand. Um, so yes, I'm counting all. All of right, those. I'm more impressed. I'm more impressed. So well, you know, it is what it is. Yes. Uh, so, tell us about your book because I you were talking very fast in the green room and I didn't get to write the title down. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> I have a book coming out on March twentieth. 2020. It is actually coming out in conjunction slash association with the United Nations International Day of Happiness. I was surprised it's a thing, but then today I discovered there's actually like an International Tomato Day too, so I'm not surprised anymore. Um, it's called 10 Steps to Finding Happy, A Guide to Permanent Satisfaction. I wrote it along with a co-author, Celine Castrovia, she writes a lot of very good YA books and um, children's American revolutionary nonfiction. And it's basically 10 solid steps that you can follow to find happy or, as I like to think about it, happier. Because in part, while writing the book, it occurred to me that uh, happy means something different to everyone. And I'm not sure that it's right to expect happy to be our default. Nonetheless, we, I recruited 24 expert writers in various topics ranging from, a good friend of mine is an art teacher who talks about the pleasure she gets from doing art projects with her, her children at home, to I, um, a dance and movement therapist who works in a palliative care children's unit, to a jazz singer. We've got sort of a whole spectrum of people talking about what their happiness is and how they find it. 
and we've organized it in such a way that our steps are supported by our guests' experience, our guest writers' experiences. Oh, that's very cool. How can people find it? Uh, will it be on Amazon and? It is going to be in if if um, if there happens to be a remaining bookstore by you, it will be there. I believe uh, Barnes and Nobles is going to carry it, which means a lot of airports, I believe, are going to carry it. And then, of course, like everything else, it's available on Amazon, and you can already pre-order the book now. Awesome. So, again, we'll wait while everybody goes and pre-orders it. Go ahead. I'm waiting. All right. Good. So. Yeah. Um, thanks for being here today. What, um, I already have a question for you and that's like, what makes you happy? But, um, Ooh. let's just get that out of the way. Um, it's funny. So what I, uh, the neurotic nourishment podcast started on a literal whim. Um, I don't know what an unliteral whim is, but a very good friend and I were sitting at the playground over spring break, letting our children run free and pretending we didn't have children, and just sort of bantering, you know, back and forth. We're very different. She's much more like spiritual, holistic. She's a nutritionist, and I am a um, pragmatic, research-based, single malt whiskey kind of gal. Um, so our friendship is sort of built on opposites and this, uh, friend or acquaintance of ours who was listening said, you guys are really funny. You should start a podcast. And since I didn't have anything else going on, you know, the book, my private practice, two children, husband, um, I readily agreed as did she. And within a week we were using our phone to record on anchor and, mm -hmm just putting out whatever thought occurred to us. It sort of gradually evolved into finding guests. And in the last um, six-ish months, what I've discovered is that this podcast actually gives me probably the first chance, well, not the first chance, but a new chance, a new opportunity in my life to, to find my voice and speak my truth. I've always been a writer. Um, in various forms, some fiction, some non. But when I podcast, I, in part because my family doesn't listen to my podcast, <laughs> so I'm able to talk with an honesty and Same. an openness that I, you know, I think has been sort of shamed and shunned and hidden behind closed doors before. Um, the closest my father has ever got to expressing interest when we told him that I had a podcast was, have you ever seen God friended me? And yeah. I had not. Yeah, well, that was my father's question and that mm -hmm. is my father's question every time anything so comes up. Seen, you still haven't seen it? I started and then I just got a little, I got oh. a little annoyed because it was really serious and also it was just a reminder to me that my family um, has not, uh, you know, I've recorded, aired 31 episodes, record, recorded 40, and I probably appeared on 15 to 20 podcasts for the purpose of, in part, you know, spreading this message and promoting my book, and not a one. <laughs> like, not a one, not a moment has been listened to. And um, so I get to talk about the things I wasn't allowed to talk about in my youth, and that's important to me. And that 
in some perverse way makes me feel happy and validated. Hey, they, they, there's no judgment. We're no judgment podcast. I judge. Um, I judge all the time. You're allowed <laughs> to, but I don't. Okay, if you say I so. I, I, I don't judge my guests. I'm here to learn what they want to share. Um, and I help them tell their stories. That sounds very zen. Well, you know, I do read a lot of stoicism. Interesting. My husband was a philosophy major, among other things. So. Well, then he knows all the great stoics. Yeah, I know nothing. So. Well, you know. No, I'm fine with it. My brain doesn't work that way. I, I prefer Malcolm Gladwell and his research-based interpretations. So. I like Malcolm, too. I've read almost all of his books. All right, then we found common ground. Look at that. Yeah. Well, I just read too much. So, Lindsay, what are we talking about today, officially? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, I have sort of fallen into a niche of specializing with uh, working with suicidal teenagers, which as a friend pointed out, is a weird thing to fall into. But as it turns out, I am pretty laid back. I have kind of a sarcasm and wry sense of humor. And um, I'm less reactive, I think, than most people are, which is funny because I struggled with anxiety for most of my life as a result of, I think, sort of a hypervigilance about my surroundings. Uh, but so now I'm pretty good at listening to teenagers talk about wanting to die and not rushing them to an ER and not judging them and not shaming them. And um, like I said, my, I, I'm proud of this book because it's going to be my first, you know, my first published book. Although I, I have a fiction agent, we haven't found a publisher yet. But I'm proud of this book, but I'm also proud of the opportunity that I've sort of created where I want to spread the message to end the stigma, much like Red Nose Day was about raising money for the homeless, I think. Um, I kind of, I have a hashtag 10 steps end the stigma, and I have this vision of on March 20th, um, social media being flooded, I say flooded, I, I would take like a gentle rainstorm with uh, pictures of people using that hashtag and either holding, I made a postcard, you know, holding a postcard or showing pictures of themselves smiling or whatever it is just to show people that are suffering, they are not alone. Cool. I mean, it, is I it? Really, it seems it like kind of a a lame ass topic, but that's it's, my, it's not really. It's I my mean, passion right now. So, I mean, personally, I, I I know three teenagers uh, that were close friends of my sons that used to come over to the house all the time uh, that have committed suicide. That is a and lot, but not surprising because it's contagious. One after the other. Yeah. Um, one year, one a year. Um, in fact, uh, he has a tattoo uh, with a semicolon in their initials, uh, each one of their initials um, on his arm. 
God, I love the semicolon. It's such a beautiful image and statement, but you know that she, the woman who um, came up with that and did end up killing herself. I did not know that. I still like the, I still think it's beautiful though, but that's, um, I think it's sad and it speaks to the struggle, the constant struggle. Uh, I feel like it is. I mean, I was shocked by all three, quite frankly. Um, were you? Am I allowed to ask about that? I mean, did, um, well, first, can I ask, did they use the same method? No. Okay. No. Um, and where is it all males? Yep. Yeah, males don't fuck around. Um, you know, if a man is going to attempt suicide, it's usually something that he knows is going to be effective. Mm, I, uh, the fact is the rates of uh, teen and 20 something, whatever it is, um, suicide and the contagion aspect of suicide has increased drastically in recent years. And there's always someone out there that's ready to blame it on social media or FOMO. But interestingly, if you look at the statistics behind it, like that spike is more correlated with the 24-hour news cycle than social media, which of course is an extension of a 24-hour news cycle. But it's, you know, the quicker we can get information out, the more people can gain that information. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's sort of dramatized. I mean, my, so in my town, God, it's gotta be almost exactly a year ago. I mean, I know it was in January, I just can't remember the day, but there was a 19-year-old, uh, I don't know if we call him a boy or a man at 19, but he threw himself in front of a train. And then uh, within a month, there was a girl who threw herself in front of the train. And um, fast forward to September of this year, there was a 15-year-old in my neighborhood who threw himself in front of the train. Um, it's, it, it's not, we're not a big town and it's a small-ish community and that there are a lot of like mid-sized, uh, similarly populated people close together. So I definitely think that well, I feel some regret that um, we got caught up in the stigma of labeling it a suicide. I'm terrified there's gonna be another one, particularly because of how this last one was handled. And, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's one of these things that no one wants to hear, not as a parent, not as a, a friend. And then what do you do with this information and how do you handle it? So. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think because of these teen suicides, I got referred more teenage patients, which was fantastic. And so, uh, somehow in a like life looking backwards, this all makes sense kind of way. I, it, it turns out that while I thought my niche would be like wealthy, anxious housewives, so I could make some money. Um, Instead, it is, uh, it is these teens who are deeply troubled and who know that I'm not going to flip out when they tell me that they're thinking about killing themselves. Do those teens have wealthy, anxious mothers? 
some of them, and unfortunately I can't see both at the same time, or that would be amazing, but <laughs> I guess you, uh, this is one of these cases where you get to choose between, um, I don't know, money or happiness. Uh, I'd pick, personally, I'd pick the kids. Oh, I pick the kids every time. I pick the kids because I think it's so tough. You know, most, most of the times if a teen or a child or whatever expresses suicidal ideation, which is just suicidal thoughts, you know, thinking about it, even something like life would be better if I weren't here or, um, or you know, I just wish I would die or what if a car hit me? A social worker or a guidance counselor or another well-meaning adult, friend, parent, you know, calls a pediatrician or someone who's like, take them to the hospital for a psych eval. And eight hours later, they're released feeling ashamed and exhausted and usually told not to tell their friends or anyone else because parents don't want that shame to follow them around. So you've wasted eight hours of the kid's life when realistically there was no real threat to begin with. Well, I mean, <clears throat> when you said that, the first thing that popped into my head was one of the most iconic Christmas movies of all time is about that very thought. Uh, just the thought of life would be better without me. Isn't, am, I, am I wrong? I mean, isn't that? No, you're the, right. That's exactly the, what it's about. Yeah. That's, oh God, I hate that. Can I just tell you, I, and everybody listening, don't stop listening to my podcast, but I really hate that movie. I, can I tell you, I've never seen that movie. Oh, it's so stupid. I know, but I just don't, you know what? I don't want to, I don't know. It falls into one of those movies I don't want to see. And I can't quite explain why. And it has nothing to do with suicidality. It just has to do with sometimes it's not such a wonderful life you know, uh, and sometimes it's all smoke and mirrors. And, and it also, it sort of says you can't feel shitty if you want to, you know, you can have, well, dep depression is literally an, in a, like a disproportionate reaction to something that is going on outside. So it's, you know, and it could be chemical and it could be. I don't think the movie is, is, is quite, I think maybe with those, this is like a perception as reality. I think your perception of the movie is different than the reality of the movie. I just think it's stupid and hokey. Um, I mean, it, it's not quite as severe as, as, I mean, they cover, when I think about it, actually, they cover a bunch of those topics. They even cover uh, alcoholism in there. And like, there's a the pharmacist uh, that he was working with. Uh, I don't want to give any of it away, but I mean, they cover a lot of decent who? Everyone else in the world besides me has seen it, and I still have no interest. So you're Oh, well, that's what I'm saying to you, but whatever. So, like, if I, I just don't like it. I just think it's, <laughs> I just don't like it. Um, mm. I'll have to investigate why someday. Uh, I like so maybe I'll watch it and then figure out what I think of it, but. Um, I think it might be worth the, let's, I'll commit to you that I'm going to watch it and try to sit down and figure out why I don't like it. I'm now that I'm thinking about it, I think it might be one of those things where like there are like maybe just because I, I, you know, growing up, you know, we had the TV that, you know, as the youngest child um, wasn't allowed to control the remote control. So, I mean, you know, how many siblings did you have? 
two yeah. two much older sisters. So um yeah, so we Sound of Music, we watched the stupid oh my God, maybe just yes. because I was forced to watch it. You never know. But um I'll figure it out on my own. But I'll I'll watch it again and figure out where my feelings are coming from if you do. I I will. I will. I've never seen it. Interestingly, though, I was asked to go on a podcast to talk about Donnie Darko. Mm -hmm. And did you ever see that? Nope. Okay, so I did. I was not high, but I felt like I was. And then my husband and I rewatched it two nights ago. And I was like, I still don't have a fucking clue what's going on. And as it turned out, the, um, the podcaster and I messed up the... Like, she's in Australia. And so... Um, I thought it was today and she last night at like 10 o'clock was like, where the hell are you? Cause apparently it was yesterday. Um, but it's supposed to be a fantastic movie and people love it. And, um, I don't know. I think sometimes people like weird shit just to say they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's to me, that's pretty much every Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes, I agree. Uh, I agree. I'm, no, I mean, he's talented, but I just don't get it. The no, there's one, like one good scene in Pulp Fiction, and other than that, I'm bored. Uh, two, maybe two, but whatever. Wait, what's the other one? I interrupted you, sorry. Um, I was trying to think, um, Burton, what's his name, Burton? Um, oh, um, Timothy uh, Burton? Yes. Yeah, I don't get his crap either. Yeah, he did Edward Scissorhands, right? He did. Yeah. He, it's, he's it's, also responsible for ruining Miss Peregrine. Oh, I agree, but, and, oh, God, that's, so you read a lot, and so I do love uh, Ransom Riggs, I think he's fantastic, but mm -hmm. I, I actually think his, are they still together, girlfriend, wife, um, uh, Zira Moffat, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but is, um, she's even better, frankly, but, uh, but yes, they were on Miss Peregrine. Totally. Um, I know. And they messed up all the powers. That's not the powers. Exactly. I mean, I, just, I, I read why they did what they did, and I still don't agree with it. And then they totally just, just yeah, whatever. So we, we're not here to talk about Miss Peregrine. So we're talking about, I believe we settled in on the topic of teenage suicide. I suppose, but you just did one of my podcast host pet peeves of being like, well, let's get back to the top. Well, um, I'm trying, I, I know, and it's fine because I, I just, I, 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 I don't know, I only said that and because I don't really, I don't really know what we're talking about. Well, um, I think we are talking about how our uh, past affects our present. I think we're talking about how your inability to control the room, you know, I don't even think there were remote controls at the beginning back then, but you know. Hey, we had that that we had that um, little box thing, right? The slider on it. Sure. And had the cable, so yeah. it was technically remote from the TV. You didn't have to get up to the TV, but I mean, even before that, I was the remote control, being the youngest. Exactly, and so I think we're talking about how our past still defines us today. Oh, okay. I, could do I, that. I don't know. I think it's related to suicide, but it's also, uh, you know, your, for example, your past, your perception of who you were in the past and whether you let that continue to 
define you or whether you turn yourself into something different. Someone oh, no, I'm totally on board with this one because I think about this a lot because since the invention of Facebook, yeah, like a lot of, um, I'm just going to say people from high school have friended me mm. and, you know, I was like, I, I honestly, I feel guilty not accepting a friend request. There are some people that I'm just like, who are you? I don't know you. No. Then there's some you people. You have a podcast. Accept every friend request. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and then there's some people from high school that I would say that I was truly friends with. And then there's a bunch of people that I'm like, why am I friends? Like, I don't even understand why I'm, I'm friends with these people. Like, and then, so like we have a high school like page, right? And so I was sucked into it. Somebody invited me against Did you go life. to like a big high school, small, medium? Big. Okay. Big. I, th I don't know the number, but it was definitely over 400 kids in my class. Okay. That's big to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you know, there's people, I, I know them, but I didn't really hang out with them. I mean, I'm the person that I've had a job since I was 13 years old. When I was 16, um, I already started with early dismissal and started right working. When I, by the time I was a senior, I had earned enough credits. I was working, I was half day at school just to show up for like the obligatory gym and stuff um, or physical education, however you want to call it. Um, and then I had uh, half the day free and I would go and I had three jobs at a, as a senior in high school. Hmm. So. That sounds like a very fun upbringing. Um, I, I liked it. I, really? I don't, yeah. Okay. I got, were, your, I, I said, were, were your jobs all in the same area? Yeah, they were close by. I mean, from the time I was 16, I was paying for my own car. I had, my, I had enough money to pay for my own car. I was paying for my insurance. We didn't have cell phones back then. So, I mean, I was, pay, I was helping to pay for the insurance. I don't know if I paid for all of it or what, but I definitely was paying for towards it. But I meant, uh, were the jobs all in the same field? Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, well, no, no, because let's see, that was that, is that in high school or college? So there was a point in time when I had three food service jobs. I was a server at two restaurants and a busser and a third. And then I got into like, like um big box home improvement stores and i worked at two of those so no that was two of those at the same time so that was when i had two jobs because that was paid more than food service so it was food service into like the big box home improvement stores um and then in my freshman year of college i worked those two jobs plus I got a job at the local telephone company in the summers, and then I interned and started working um, during the school year and my second semester of freshman year. So I had that job, and then I got rid of one of the big box jobs and kept them. So I've always had multiple things going on. So what is your current career? I work in telecommunications and IT. Okay, so it's, it does sort of all blend together. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a path of sorts, but you're saying that you were sort of out of the high school loop. Yeah, I was. So, you know, how your past defines the, how you are now. So getting to that, right. 
So I was thinking the other day, like they, I don't live near, I'm like over 2000 miles away from where I grew up. So we had our high school reunion or whatever. And like, I see the pictures and stuff and, um, and I'm like, I just don't really care. And I'm like, does yeah. that make me a horrible person? Um, no. Unless it's some sort of weird denial. I don't know. Well, see, that's what I start to think about. I'm like, well, you know, I see person X. I used to work with this. Like I see them. I'm like, okay, well, um, like I used to sit at the lunch table with these people. I work with these people. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't so, know. I never liked groups. I never felt comfortable in them. Um, I was like a serial monogamist. Um, you know, one serious boyfriend to another, and that was fine. And um, my oldest friend, you know, oldest in terms of how long we've been friends, um, she can remember like every classmate, every teacher's names, every, you know, she'll be like, you know who I ran into at the mall? And I, my first response is, why were you at the mall? And like, you know, I'm not gonna remember who this person was. Um, so I think, you know, it's, uh, I didn't have a bad time in high school. I just didn't, it wasn't the time of my life. How's that? I hated high school. Really? Well, that's why you had three jobs to get out of it. I did. I did everything I could to get the heck out of there. But why? I didn't like being confined. I didn't like the classes. I didn't feel like I was learning anything. I didn't, I just didn't care i mean i didn't value what i was being taught um i didn't study anything but i could still ace all the quizzes and that made my teachers a lot of the teachers hated me mm. um i didn't like speaking up in class i still don't like which is odd because well i let me explain it to you this way I don't mind being on stage and i've done this several times i can speak in front of thousands of people but it's and I actually like it. What I don't like is the moment afterwards when you have to come down and there's no other speaker and then I have to engage with people. That just drives me nuts. I see. So, that makes sense. Like in high school, like if you were called on to give an answer, like, you know, I would give the shortest possible answer. You know, they would want to debate or do whatever. And I just didn't like the spotlight was like calling somebody else who gives a crap. I'm like, I don't even, you know, I would, I would say these sarcastic things out loud. I would literally say, call on somebody who gives a crap. Hmm. And then I would end up in the principal's office. Yeah. I think the most outrageous thing I ever did in high school was, um, you know, we had to take typing, but it was like somewhere between like the typewriter and like the computers at, you know, starting to, yep do basic functions. And so uh, this one kid in the class figured out that we could copy and paste it. Like you could copy it, you know, and then, mm -hmm. you know, you practice, 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 and then you copy that. And then the thousand year old woman starts the timer and you like pretend to be doing something and then you press paste and we all ace the class. That was probably the bravest, uh, you know, the bravest wow. thing I ever did. I, yeah, I mean, I was wow. not really a rule breaker. I mean, my um, 
Oh, once I, when I was a junior in high school, yeah, junior in high school, I had a, a, my boyfriend's friend taught me how to disconnect the alarm system so I could sneak out of my house. However, I was never brave enough to sneak out of my house. And then I tried pot once and I wrote about it in my diary. And my mom, um, one night at dinner, she starts asking me if I've ever tried pot. And of course I denied it. And then she's like, and did you sneak out the window? Because the alarm guy came and saw that, uh, I don't know, this little thing was disconnected. And I was like, no. And so she whips out my diary and is like, look, you're lying about everything. <laughs> wow. Talk about yeah. privacy. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, just a, you're just a badass. See, I, I skipped class all the time because um, I just didn't like it. Actually, my high school, kind, one, my high school guidance counselor um, told me not even to apply to college, that it would just be a waste of time. Interesting and sad. And so what'd you do? Oh, well, I, you don't tell me not to do something. Mm. And see, <laughs> I, I know him as like, this is the thing because I got along really well with the, with some teachers and one of them. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I know that he was being, honest. wait, was that he going was, somewhere dirty? No, 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 it wasn't. It was just like one of them was the psychology teacher. I liked, I liked my psychology teacher. I liked my sociology teacher and I liked my English, one of my English teachers. Gotcha. Those were the only three people in that high school that I really felt like I could talk to, except for the principal, the vice principal, um, who I used to go see all the time. Right. Like we were on a first name basis. Like he knew that I wasn't, I didn't cause any trouble really. I mean, I did defend myself. There were several times when, when I was attacked. Um, I did have to defend myself. You mean but, physically? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, there was one time I got sent to the principal's office. I was standing in line with all the other degenerates and I leaned up against the wall and I didn't realize I leaned up against the fire alarm. Oh yeah. Don't you know the damn thing falls off the wall and the alarm goes off? Of course it does. It's a fire alarm. That is literally the definition of what it's supposed to do. No, 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 not, not, no. Like this is the one where you're supposed to pull the lever down and you break the little glass thing. I mean, the damn thing fell off the wall. Like it's supposed to be attached to the wall. So when you pull on it, it breaks the glass, which triggers the alarm function. Gotcha. I mean, I, I literally, I just, I wasn't, I just was, you know, zoning out, leaned up against the wall. The thing falls off the, the wall and the wires are just sticking there. Hmm. It's like um, Schneider from that stupid TV show. Oh, you're so old, but I know what you're talking about. And oh, one day, one day on at a time. Yeah. To get you to admit that you knew that show. Of course. Um, but yeah, so like, it's like he fixed it or something. So out comes um, Dan, the vice principal. He wasn't my vice principal um, that I got along with, but he comes out and I'm just standing next to it. And everybody's like pointing like, oh my God, he pulled the alarm and I'm standing next to it. And I'm like, it's right there in the ground and there's wires. He's like, what did you do? I'm like, all I did was lean up against the wall because there's no chairs out here. And I've been standing here for a half an hour. I got tired. I leaned up against the wall. And as you can see, it fell. Yeah. He was like, you didn't rip it off the wall because you were angry. I'm like, 
I, I go, Dan, have you ever seen me do anything out of anger? <laughs> I mean, honestly, have you ever seen me do anything out of anger? I'm like, I'm always down here because I have a, a, a sarcastic mouth. Sure. I'm like, do you think I would literally lean up, a, rip a fire alarm? And if I did, why would I still be standing here telling you about it, pointing to it, asking you, I almost got electrocuted from these damn wires. <laughs> um, it's funny because I, um, you know, the reason, I mean, I, I think I became a psychology major to figure out what the fuck was wrong with me and then also what was wrong with my parents and then I became a psychologist to continue that journey but um, my sophomore year of college I took my first psych class fell in love with it and then desperately needed the approval of the teacher and so I went to him during office hours to ask him a question that like it was a very loosely lightly veiled question which is basically do you believe in me to be a psychology major because I needed that um, I think I needed that strength and conviction at that time. And he uh, sort of looked me up and down. I was blonde hair, big boobs, and did not realize how hot I was. And said, um, don't major, you'll never do anything with it. And I walked directly downstairs to the registrar. <laughs> and signed up to major in psychology because oof, I've been told my whole life there are things I couldn't do, but this wasn't gonna be one of them. So, good so for I, you. I think your story about college is funny for well, a similar good, reason. Good, good for you. I mean, I actually went to school um, to start off to be a psych major, but I ended up getting my, one of my degrees is actually in social work. Oh, that's interesting and super sad. <laughs> Why is it sad? Yeah, I just think social work is so sad. Yes, which is why I didn't do social work because two things happened in life. One, I was only working part-time uh, 32 hours a week at the telephone company while in college. Graduation comes. I'm making more money part-time at 32 hours a week at the telephone company more than I would have if I accepted that social work job yeah um that's still the issue with social work actually oh i know believe me i know and i i, I mean and that's that's why i stayed in in telecom yeah um it's interesting i'm trying to put together a webinar on women in Women in mental health uh, as practitioners, which seemed pretty obvious to me, um, but that we are making an average of $40,000 less than our male counterparts. And I think in part it's our fault because there are skills that men have that we don't have or things that we... Really? Yeah. Are there? I Are there? Yes. And, and I, I mean, it's a loaded question in, in, in because of like, Okay, so this is a pet. This is this is a pet peeve of mine. Go um, for it. I need to know why you think the males have more skills than you do as a female. I don't think they have more skills. I think they've been taught different skills. Oh, okay, uh, that's different. Okay, I, I could, I'm I can see how that would happen. It still it it distresses me. Why? But I want to know why because like 
when so I've reached a, a, a certain point in my career where I have many teams, many people working for me at various levels. And I make damn sure that if that my hiring managers, when they look at a name, so I warned you about this in the, um, in the green room. And I talk about unconscious bias a lot on the show. Great. That so when they I. see, when they see a name on a resume, like I actually don't want them to read the name on the resume. I want them to read the resume first. I want, I don't want them to make any association with the name, male, female, or whatever. I want them to read the skills and, and do all that. And when, when we make an offer, there is, there's a range that we're given, but everybody starts if they're in an entry level position for their position, grade level and everything, they get the same salary regardless of, regardless of race. Is there gender, a, well, okay. Okay. Is there a negotiation get, process, a salary negotiation? There is. And who, um, is the applicants allowed to advocate and negotiate for themselves? Oh yeah, they are. And that's where the problem comes in. Um, I can say from my experience that there, um, that I haven't come across a candidate that hasn't countered male, female, or, or, or otherwise, if you're a New York state gender X or whatever that is. Um, uh, if Sometimes, I mean, I can't even generalize. I mean, everybody, everybody counters and I always say no. You say no as in there's no negotiation? I say there's no negotiation. That is correct. Okay. What happens come raise time? Come raise time. Um, it's, there's, it's a, it's a, it's a, everybody gets a bucket. Um, and it, it's kind of. Um, it's a, it's a pretty well program run, well run program. And if you follow the procedures of the weekly and monthly check-ins, everything works out, um, because you're constantly evaluating people and putting feedback into a system on a weekly basis, person by person, uh, that rolls up monthly, rolls up quarterly, then rolls up annually. So it's all done by that. Okay, so there's not really any room for negotiation. No. Okay, so. Well, there I, is in the beginning, but here's what. But there so, isn't because you say no. Well, here's why. Let me explain to you why I say no. Oh, I don't mind that part. That's not what I'm objecting to. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. And we'll get to that in a moment. Um, I say no because I don't offer a base salary like the lowest possible salary. I'm generous on the curve coming in, but I make sure that I'm equally generous to everybody at the same point. So let's just say somebody's interviewing for a $10,000 a year job. I'm, I'm just doing that in case anybody's listening, whatever, you know, just round number. Like this job that they're interviewing for that I'm hiring for, you can go out on salary.com, whatever, and you're like, okay, this job will pay $10,000. But when I make the offer, I'm at 15000 Because I want people to feel valued coming in right away which is, which is great so you know some people want more and and I, it's a conversation i don't mind having a conversation but we have the conversation and i explain my point and i'm like this is why i'm you know where we're at um 
with the salary and you know this was really it this is where we're at and you know people i i've only had one person i would say in the last several years that has gone someplace else everybody else is is happy and on board and um doing well so what's your objection my objection to what you said that that the me had not having a negotiation wasn't your objection uh uh no um so i don't i don't believe that i think we're all consciously aware enough enough you know of biases not to um i would like to think that in this day and age the vast majority of us are not rejecting based on a name or a gender that doesn't mean it's true you know i'm sure there are some exceptions but it does mean that when it comes to huh, so there was a 2011 study of uh mba graduates from a um it was a very i can't remember if it was a harvard or a yale or something but where 47 percent of women the first you know um negotiated like counter counter offered their first job offer salary mm -hmm. and then they track them for when they next change jobs which is you know something that happens a lot in business and in many fields these days it dropped down to i want to say 31 percent which was considerably less than their male counterparts and i wish i could remember the numbers i had this in front of me the other day when i was working on this webinar but i think that the issue is women have not been a couple things one is i think it starts with caveman caveman days you know hunter gatherers and uh, nurturers and it is literally a biological positive or negative depending on how you look at it that the woman carries houses you know feeds clothes the baby for you know nine months and beyond while the man goes out and um i guess hunts and gathers i've never really understood that well i mean but, somebody's got to take care of that thing and i'm all for it but who's taking care <laughs> right i'm all for it but it tends you know that i mean in reality they're both taking care of that thing just in different yeah. ways um but uh you know fast forward to a few years ago this whole thing about math and how it, it's not necessarily that males are better at math or that that part of their brain activates more it's that uh teachers regardless of gender have a bias where if they're asking a math question they tend to call on boys more and if they're asking a uh english ela whatever it is uh question they tend to call on girls more and that was a pretty well validated mm -hmm. study um and so it's kind of like red shirting it's like malcolm gladwell's um uh you read all the books it was outliers outliers mm -hmm. or the tipping point i'm sorry where he yep. spoke about the fact that if you look at the canadian hockey leagues the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the red shirts, the red shirts yeah. right? So was it's it hockey or soccer. I thought it was, it was hockey. It was Canada, dude. Oh Canada. no! I'm so there's another. There is a study that validates the 
on top of that that I read, and it's about how red shirts in soccer, uh, it's a red shirt in soccer. I'm sure it works in every sport, you yep. know? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, football, yeah. Uh, I don't really follow college college of sports at all, but I, I like, you know, regular football. But so anyway, so the idea is that um, if you're, those who were born, so our cutoff here is January 1st, I believe. January 1st is when, um, how do I explain this in English to someone who's not a parent who might be listening? You can, so you can, your, if your child is born January 1st or after, you can register them for, you know, kindergarten, because that's when they turn five or whatever the cutoff is. And so my daughter is uh, January 19th birthday. She is the oldest in the class. She was she was a bright girl to begin with, but now what's happened is um, she's quicker to get concepts because she's got those couple months of advanced development. And then the teachers pay more attention to her. And then her reading level, you know, like she's got that little advantage. I'll bring this back to hockey and Malcolm Gladwell, it'll work better. But so basically she, um, or the, you know, the hockey players, it turns out that those that made it to the major leagues in Canadian hockey, or you know, sketchy ground here, but um, I'm sure it's not sure major leagues, but those who succeeded were the ones that were just that teensy bit older, like in that first third or quarter, uh, you know, of the, the cutoff year, because they had a little bit more physical coordination and a little bit more attention from the coaches. And, uh, you know, these little these little advantages add up. Um, and so I think similarly, when we're looking at the differences between uh, males and females and what, we're, what's, what behaviors are encouraged or discouraged or ignored, if you look at uh, ADD slash ADHD, boys are more likely to be diagnosed. And the reason is because hyperactivity is more distracting to a class than um, distractibility. And uh, boys usually express the uh, ADHD as being hyper. And with girls, it's much more difficulty concentrating. And so, for example, like I think I said, uh, six months ago, I got, I was, I was, I did an eval. Someone, someone suggested we eval one of my kids for ADHD. And in looking over the, the parent form, the, it's called a Connors form, the parent fills it out, the teacher fills it out, and then you need a third source to fill it out. I started recognizing all these characteristics of myself. And so um, it was sort of a holy shit moment. And I went, to a, uh, I went to a neurologist. I was like, this is gonna sound crazy. I'm a female. I'm a doctor, I have postdoc education, you know, um, I'm, I'm an adult, you know, but I started to recognize some of these things that I see in my child and myself and um, my neurologist starts asking me questions. And one of the questions was, when you were in school, did you procrastinate? And my answer was like comically tragic. My answer was, no, 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 I didn't. He's like, never. I said, I can't procrastinate because I can only pay attention for like a short period of time. So I have to spread that out over a few days. And 
oh, you know, like it was this this realization that, um, you know, I still had it, I just expressed it differently. And I think that, you know, over time we adapt. I take notes, copious notes when I'm in, in with a patient. I write things to do lists constantly. Um, and it's my way of trying to compensate for what I lack. But if I were a boy, if I had been uh, more hyperactive, if it had been expressed differently, my life would have led a slightly different path. Um, similarly, boys are more likely to be identified by school uh, social workers and psychologists as having anger issues, whereas girls are identified as being depressed or being sad or being lonely. Um, and I think it's, it's what we're taught to look for in some way. And I think that it eventually plays out into our, our career. Does that make sense? It does. It, it, it does. Um, doesn't mean I have to like it. But you don't it, have to. It, it, it does. I mean, it just, I don't, um, so I, I, I'm like really weird about this, is that I don't like uh, discrimination in any way, shape or form, but I don't like things being shoved down my throat at the same time. Hmm. Um, so tell me, I guess, tell me how I... You how didn't I, do it, I'm just saying in general. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think, listen, I think white privilege, that invisible backpack does exist, but doesn't always apply. I agree, I agree. Um, and I, it's something that I'm aware of. Um, I've lived in communities where uh, my wife and I, we were the only white people for miles. And I've had conversations with some people who I thought were friends um, of a minority and they were like, well, you don't know what it's like to be discriminated against. I'm like, uh, I'm going to have to call BS because I do. Mm, um, you, do you do in one particular town, perhaps. Uh, exactly. But that doesn't mean, and I was not trying to equate myself to them or diminish what they were saying. Um, but they're like, you couldn't possibly, and the, the thing that got me going was they were literally like, you couldn't possibly know what it's like to be discriminated against. Mm. And I'm like, well, I can, because I lived in this little town in this place. The two of us were the only white people for miles. The, the, the school that my wife taught in, she was literally the only white teacher. A teacher walked up to her on her first day and said, I hate you. Mm. When they went out to a teacher dinner, a lunch on a teacher workday, one of the other teachers picked her up out of the buffet line and physically moved her. If that's not discrimination, I mean, that's, that's what she experienced. I, I mean, that sounds more like insanity, but yeah, that sounds uh, awful. So I'm saying so like, we have, and, and, and my point in the conversation was like, how can I help? Like, I want to help stop discrimination, but they were like, oh, and, and instead of that, they were like, well, how could you possibly know? Um, I don't know how you can possibly help. I mean, you can make yourself aware, but I think it's, 
Listen, racism is inherent and it's, it's a survival tool. It dates back to, you know, cavemen, clan, tribes, where someone who shared your, someone who looks like you was more likely to share your genetic material, which means that the um, uh, reproduction of their offspring would benefit would be benefited by the reproduction of your offspring. I did not say that correctly, but I think you understand. I get and so, you. I'm yeah, you. I'm sorry. I don't know why I just it came out awkwardly. But so, literally, people that looked more like you were more likely to defend you in a battle because it was about, on some level, it's not even survival of the fittest. It's um, it's who had the most numbers, you know, it's war, it's lack of resources. And so we like, we are inherently, in some ways we are inherently programmed to be racist. You know, all these, these police shootings, the, um, uh, you know, although I, I trust me, I'm not supporting them and I'm, I don't mean to group, be grouping everything into one or the other, but the fact is if you see someone in a dark alley who looks like you, your um, cortisol response is like slightly less and cortisol is a stress hormone your cortisol response is going to be a little bit less than if that person looked different than you because on some level you a part of you like a caveman part of you believes this person to be more safe yeah some i think um i, I somebody i i've read similar stuff and i think somebody refers to it as our lizard brain yeah 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 yep. so yeah no i'm tracking with you and and you know my point is like i don't really i don't like that discrimination i get where it all comes from but i think if we don't talk about it people won't acknowledge it and, and that's one of the points of this podcast is we have these unconscious biases but if we talk about it you can move beyond it so you mm. you will know probably, i don't know i don't know if you can move beyond it but at least it's a try at least it's an attempt, you know. I think people, in order to evolve, we will evolve, will, can move beyond that at some point. I'm not saying it might be not possible now, but if we don't talk about it, so how do I, I always talk about something I call the new normal. Like there's a new normal, um, and I'll put it in, in, in perspective. Hopefully it'll tie back to, to, to this point that, uh, about, you know, the, the conversation that I was having. Like, I feel like I can help by having the, I can help by having the conversation if we talk about it. So, like, for example, I have a lot of heart problems. Um, just, I just do. So when I found out about when when the first one exhibited it changed my life significantly and i had a new normal because i had to adjust things and then when the second one came along i had another new normal and the third one came along and now i have another new normal and that's the new normal that i live by today what i mean by that is i i don't i can't do things sure sure you know there are certain yeah. things so i have to adjust so that's what I call like my new normal concept. If we continue to talk about racism and things like that, there, you know, the initial response, people are always, this is what, you know, this is why we're talking about perception as reality because people 
if I were, and this is one of the reasons I don't do video, because if I'm looking at you, not only does it help improve the audio quality, because some people have, I have international guests and it gets a little sketchy with um, like where they are. I mean, one, one, um, one awesome guest was I was interviewing from Romania and she had to go outside on top of a hill, which happened to be a graveyard. So I interviewed her from there. That is um, fucking fantastic, though. <laughs> oh, she's awesome. You should have her on. Not that the, the graveyard, but I would like to have her. Uh, pass oh, me on her information because it sounds interesting. I will. She's uh, uh, Alina. She's an awesome person. Uh, I think you would enjoy talking to her. Um, but anyway, so that's what I call the new normal. If I and that's what my point was like. I can, you know, how can I help do that? And it was basically like I, I felt like I was being told you can't help you're the problem is that that's that's where that conversation one is like i'm the problem i'm a middle-aged white male and i get this a lot like i'm the problem um i have some very f friends that are into feminism and you know i'm like great I, I will support you and you know however i can and they're like you can't you're the problem i'm like how am i how am i the damn problem when i want to help everybody it's funny i didn't i i never wanted to identify as a feminist because it just felt foolish to me because um, my view has always been, we're not equal, like we're equivalent, but we're not equal. Yes. Equal, equal to me is the same. And then- um, Preach it, Dr. Lindsay, thank you. There's a difference between, yes. Yep. Please, please explain to everybody and your, your advanced education and psychological terms of why there's a difference between equivalent and equal. Sure. I mean, equal literally means three plus two equals five. There you go. I suck at math, but I got that one covered. You did. Um, well done. You know, uh, equivalent would probably be like 0.5 equals one half, maybe. Or, you know, yep. if we're converting kilograms yep. to you're, you're on. You're, you're, yes, grams. Exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting what changed it for me. It was a couple of things. It was getting older. Um, uh, and I, I actually thought I would hate getting older. I was very worried about my outside appearance. And now I'm less worried. I'm, I still want my husband to find me attractive. But what really impresses me is when, what really gets my juices flowing is when I can impress other people with my intelligence. Because when I was younger, I don't, think that was some, I mean, it should have been noticed, but it just wasn't as important to me as looking good. Um, but what really changed me on the, the feminine issue was two things. Uh, it was one, it was the Kavanaugh trial. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I try to stay away from politics because it's just too damn polarizing. But uh, the fact is, I don't know a single woman that hasn't ended up in a situation that she didn't didn't want to be in, didn't know how to get out of, um, little white lies, you know. I remember the boy who was like, oh, let's, let's just go watch TV away from the party and then surprise the lights and TV didn't work. And like, it didn't end in anything like disastrous and awful, but there was definitely a, a con of some sort going on, you know, where I was like, motherfucker, like you knew, like now I got to find a way to get out of the situation that you put me in. Um, and so it was bad and it got, it was interesting to note how none of the men 
that I spoke to, like my father-in-law could not understand, like, well, why'd she go into that room? I'm like, I don't know, maybe he told her they were gonna watch TV, you know? Um, and the other thing is being a woman in, in business, because I think as my children have gotten older, I've changed from being a therapist to being a, a, a small business owner, you know, which has also come from the book and the podcast and all the, the webinar and all the other things. And a lot of times the, the test that echoes in my mind is, but would you say that to a man? Uh, a friend of mine, she owns like the, the greatest, most absurdly expensive clothing store in our absurdly expensive town. And she was telling me how uh, she lives not too far from the store and there is a UPS driver and when he drops off packages at the store if she's not there she makes the the employees that work in the store call her to um, like to make sure that it was a package that was ordered and not a mistake because otherwise there's a whole series of events that have to occur for her to get the manufacturer to take back the item that was you know mistakenly shipped and so um, he, this had been going on for a while. You know, it, it was just routine and it was what it was. She also has three kids and, you know, a business, a life. Uh, she's active in the community. And one day this delivery man delivered a package to her house. And when he recognized her, he said, by the way, you really need to be quicker in responding. Um, you know, like, like when, when people call you about the packages, I really need you to be quicker in responding. And I don't know that it was meant to be rude, but I don't think the same would have been said to a man who's in charge of a really well-functioning business. Um, so that's my new criteria of feminism. It's if you would say this to a man, then you can say it to me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I don't mean... Listen, I, I, go to, I go to the gym and there have been men that have come over and offered me um, tips. And do I think they share that with other men? I don't know, but it's not, no. I, you know what? But I don't, I also feel like if I'm unsure, sometimes I'm doing something wrong, you know? And, um, and they probably wouldn't. And I think I just have a higher threshold. Like similarly, if I see a guy doing an exercise that I don't know, I'll be like, hey, what does that work? You know, because to me, it's an open forum of, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's an, it's a human encyclopedia. I, I don't mind. Listen, there was one guy who told me that he'd noticed that I've been working hard and he'd noticed a difference in how good I looked, but I really should be doing more reps of lower weights rather than lifting heavy weights. And, um, I shared this on my Instagram page because I was curious about it and I was curious, but people were pissed. You know, like, yeah. Um, and, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't. I did a whole episode about what it's like to be a female entrepreneur with Megan Flanagan Mills. Interesting. And we talked about how a couple things like, because, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm hyper aware about this stuff and I don't know why, but I just am. Um, 
but so I'm always looking out, out, out for it. And, and, and when I go out to a trade show or whatever, like, and, and being in telecom and IT, it's a, it's a male dominated industry. So I have several friends that they know if the female friends that I've met over the years that they know if they're in trouble, they can call me and I will come help them. Or if, you know, cause that people, you know, there's drinking, they get hit on and then they can come and be like, they're, you know, we're going to go do something that night or whatever, so they can avoid sure. super dude. Um, so, I mean, Megan was telling me about her experiences and, you know, there was the, the circle of people at a networking event. There were four guys, you know, talking in a semicircle. They weren't enclosed in a circle, semicircle. And it was a networking event. She went up and introduced herself and one guy wouldn't shake her hand. Wow. And then there was, you know, all the boob stares that she would tell me about. Like, she's like, that happens all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, for me, and this is just a personal David thing, is that women, except for my wife, you don't exist between the knees and the shoulders. You just don't, you just, that's, you just don't exist. Um, and I'm being, I'm, you know, obviously I'm being extreme to, to make the point, but um yeah, I don't know if that's noble or um, ignorant or whatnot, but I think the idea is very nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't like the, you know, my eyes are up here. I've heard that several times, not said to me, but I've heard, like, well, again, while we're out at these shows, you know, and those things is like, I'm up here. And I'm like, oh, come on, you're having a conversation. Don't be an idiot. But Megan's, uh, one of the things other Megan said was, like, she runs, um, she has her own business and, and somebody came in and they were like, well, is Mr. Mills around? And she was like, what? Then she was, oh, like, she was oh. like, Oh snap. Well, you know, in her head, I I'm ad libbing. She was, Megan is one of the most professional, awesome people. So I'm don't interpret her answer as what, but this is Davidism here in her head. She was like, well, in my version of her story, Oh snap. Oh, he's talking about like, Oh, obviously I work for my husband. Or my father or something or you know whatever oh hell no she's like uh no um this is my business you know she was very nice about it and she didn't do the old, old snap thing but like it just oh i have a good one okay ready yeah. um when i was in labor with my son i i herniated my first disc at 17 my second at 23 and i think there have been another two since then but so i'm in labor with my son i was I don't know, 30. And um, he was in, it's called back labor, where they're like, whatever. The point is, his body is pressing on my, the nerves in my back. And mm -hmm. this nurse had suggested we turn down my epidural because I am all about drugs. And so we, we got the guy back in, they turned down my epidural. Then I realized I'm in back labor. And then my shit starts spinning out of control because, uh, when I have thrown out my back, it has been like, um, there was a Mad About You episode with Helen Hunt where she's like stuck on the floor for days. And, and now uh, who's the old one? See, but I knew you'd get it. I um, did get it. But it was like that. Like, it's like, I can't walk, I can't move. It happened again when I was 36 and my best friend moved in with me for six months to take care of my kids. So like, this is a serious um, pain and phobia of mine. And so I, I looked at my husband, I looked at this nurse and I said, 
go get the doctor. I need this baby out. I want a C-section. And we, we had tried everything. We had tried different positions, whatever. Like this is a very like pro breastfeeding hospital, which is fine with me because I was open to it. But like they, you know, they have opinions about how natural things should be. Mm-hmm. And she goes, uh, well, maybe you should try for a few minutes. And I looked at her and I, listen, had it been my foot, I would have like, I'll break a toe and keep walking. But this is like my literal Achilles heel, just not in my Achilles. And I said, um, I want an epidural. Or no, I'm sorry, I want a C-section. And she looks at my husband for just long enough <laughs> for me to say, I don't, I don't know why the fuck you're looking at him. This is my body. Go get the doctor. <laughs> like, I'm a really nice person. I waitress for years. I'm a big fan of like, don't yell at the person who's not at fault. Like, don't kill the messenger. And this was just one of these like, this is my body. How dare you look at him? Um, the next day, my husband brought her chocolates as an apology, and I was sort of pissed because I didn't want to apologize, but whatever. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't get why. I mean, I mean, because my husband's really nice, but you know, it's there is a listen, ultimately, there is a difference in how men and women are treated. And you know, we started this before we pressed record by talking about my, um, my tech problems because I was having trouble sending my, my editor um, the, some files that he needed for the mm-hmm. long and short of it. And so as we've been on the phone, I got a, an email from him that said, did you compare the list of the ones I said had an issue and what you sent me below? Winky face. And I, every time he sends me a winky face, it's a, I feel like he's saying, fuck you, you idiot. And, um, I'm pretty sure that's the case. And I said, I did. And then he writes back, um, so-and-so question mark, winky face, because apparently I forgot to send him one of the files. And I gotta tell you, like, I don't think he pulls that winky face shit on a woman, on a man rather. Um, and I think it's fucking disrespectful. And um, he's a nice guy, he's a good guy-ish, but there is a fundamental difference in how we are treated. And therefore there's a fundamental difference in how we, what we learn to, re- to expect from others. And so what we learn, subconsciously to think that we deserve um and i think that's the bias and it sucks you know because although it occurs to me to be like fuck you don't talk to me like that um uh i don't know it's it's almost something that's that i've grown accustomed to sadly in some ways unless we're talking about forcing a nine pound baby out of my body um but i do think it's there and i don't think that means we can't change it I just think it's a it's a long road for all of us to try to figure out together, not by moving people off dinner lines, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but how do we get people together like this? Um, I mean, we can't even. So I was talking to uh, somebody the other day about an initiative that he's doing, and I was like, "Well, how are you going to get everybody to consensus?" Um. And he had a way around it. He was like, I don't need consensus for what I'm going to do. And I was like, okay, you're the boss. That's awesome. Um, but in general, I find, you know, getting people to consensus on 
simple things isn't necessarily easy, but when you're talking about a hard topic, that's even more difficult. Um, if we could come to consensus, we wouldn't have the political structure we have today. Yeah, it's extremely polarizing. Um, you know, I, I'll say, I'll say two things I've learned from um, podcasting, and then in a few minutes I have to put my little kids to bed. But um, no, just divide them on the podcast. <laughs> I should. They would love it. Actually, my daughter does my um, my advertisements. She sings, so she does awesome. make her sing all the advertisements, and she's singing the new season two intro. So, um, two uh, essentially, my podcast co-host quit slash resigned about six weeks ago. And uh, it was a very amicable. We were just looking for different things. She's still one of my best friends, favorite people. We're doing breakfast tomorrow and I can't wait. Um, we took our kids bowling over the vacation and it was like the thing that saved me from homicide. So um, it wasn't a bad thing. And it also gave me some free reign to start booking people that I thought would be interesting. So one of the interesting interviews I had was with a uh, young mom, she had, I believe she has two kids and she's amazing, she's a podcaster and she is black. And at the very basis, like basic, basic tenant, one of my first questions to her was, am I supposed to say black or African-American? Because I'm educated as fuck, but honestly, either way, something's wrong. Like if you're not from Africa, why am I saying that, you know? Um, and we ended up getting into this discussion. Like, I, I'm really proud of the podcast because it was so uncomfortable to do. Uh, we ended up getting into this discussion about the difference between being a white mom and a, a black mom. Um, how things I would never have even thought of. Breastfeeding, you know, encouraging breastfeeding, getting, getting help for certain, certain things. Um, how do you raise your child, be it a daughter or a son? What, what's the first thing you teach your, your white child versus your black child? And obviously this was just one person's perspective, but I loved it because it was so uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable um, and I think she felt heard because I felt uncomfortable and because I asked tough questions. And, I, and this was about two months ago and I think um, she and I are you know, still, huge fans every time i do a facebook live she stops by to say hi and i share every episode she comes out with as well uh and then the second thing is um i actually there's this woman her name is uh christina uh risinger and she is she's got a great new podcast it's called faith breathe hope I met her when she came on my podcast and uh, her, one, her, she had a child, Isabella, who was born with uh, trisomy 18, which results in very severe, um, what is it called? Like life incompatible um, differences. I, I forget the term right now, but essentially while she was pregnant, she found out that this daughter that she had been praying for, hoping for, loving, was going to die. She continued the pregnancy and continued to care for this child, Isabella, as long as she lived. And then on uh, December 17th, four years ago, she 
she died. And I'm specifically using her name and using the word died because this was one of the things that Christina taught me about grief and moving forward rather than moving on. Um, Christina is also very religious. She identifies herself as a child of God and talks a lot about faith. And um, I am Jewish and not even that religious. And there, I had a lot of questions for her and I asked and she answered and I ended up crying for a, a lot of the interview, which as you may imagine is not like podcast protocol, but, um, it, it, you know, if I ever, if there were ever a podcast Emmy and I got a chance to submit an episode, I would submit that one because I, it was true. It was real. And it was a, a, just a very valid experience for both of us. So about a week after um, we put the episode together, she reached out to me for some tech advice, which is funny now that you know how tech-tarded I am. <laughs> and um, we were on the phone for about an hour talking and catching up. And she said, listen, do you ever edit your podcast? And I was like, well, no, because A, I kind of want it to flow. And then B, I don't know how to edit. But apparently towards the end, I said something about my goddamn tears. And Christina admitted to me that she couldn't, like she couldn't, she loves our episode also, but this was not something that her, her people, that her followers could, um, could or would tolerate or embrace. And I was really hurt because to me, this was like one of the most moving, you know, moments of, uh, certainly the last year, you know, it's so far in my podcast life. And yet there was this divide. And so I, wrote this long thing back to her, telling her I respect her, but um, to me, it's just a word. And we had a back and forth and um, P.S. we're still friends and I podcasted with her today and my cats were all over the computer and her dogs were barking and we enjoyed the heck out of it. And um, I didn't swear at all on her podcast. And at the end she thanked me because she knew that it was out of respect for her. And here are, differences where we managed to come together. And I think in some ways that's what you and I both have a similar um, hope for our podcasts, you know, to, to view different perspectives and find a way to put them together in a way that makes a, a complete whole and hopefully makes us understand each other more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. See, I know that was like a long circuitous uh, point, but but I was going somewhere good with it. <laughs> no, you, you did. You got us there. I don't feel like I finished any of my points today, but that's fine. I'm um, sorry. That's because I'm such a good guest. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> for real, uh, and I do mean that. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's because I go, I do these things, and you know what it is? It's because um like i do these things i go on this or i go down a long story to try to make a point and then i forget where i'm going and then i try to go back to it um but because i know your pet peeve i'm not i'm purposely holding myself from going back to things good job um i have to put my littles to bed but thank you so you, much well, and, and, so, and by but, the way wait, wait you, i would love what you have to we have to hear her sing the intro we have she's got to sing and then you can go oh i don't have it 
I don't oh. have it on me because it's on one of these files. Damn it. Um, but I will tell you, spoiler alert, I had her sing um, the beginning of On My Own from Les Mis, since this is season two and I'm on my own. <laughs> Does she want to sing for us live? Uh, um, I, That's fine. I, no pressure. That's fine. Yeah, I, I'll, yeah, I'll stop. I, so we'll stop. I'll stop and I'll say thank you for being on the episode. Thank you that for having fun, me. Fun conversation. Um, um, listen, you. I'm going to circle back around to you when, right before my book comes out to see if maybe you'll help me spread the ten steps and the stigma message. Um, so and that's, yes, that I'm not going to commit to because, okay. and I'll tell you why. It's not because I don't want to. I mean, I will. You don't um, have if, to if I'm still podcasting. So I'm in March. I'm taking two weeks off. Aww. going to Italy. Um doing a 10 day tour of Italy and I'm going to eat my way through, which Oh my God, do. enjoy the hell out of it. Good. Oh, I do. I, I love going this time where we're, we're going to Sicily, but um, I'm like, I'm booked with guests like two a week up until March when we leave and I'm not doing anything after that. My goal for this podcast was to only do it for a year and I've gone longer than a year. Well, um, that is amazing. But all I'm asking you to do is take a picture holding my little sign and hashtagging it 10 steps and the stigma. So can, can it be of my dogs like holding yes. the sign? Then Absolutely. I'm in. I'm in all right. It. Fair enough. So um, I'm going to harass you for your mailing address at some point in the next month and we'll come back around. And yeah. if your listeners are interested, you can find me at Psych Shrink Mom on Instagram or at Lindsay S. Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N on Twitter. Cool. All right. Well, everybody, hopefully you enjoyed the wild ride today. I'll have to figure out what I'm <laughs> going to title this episode. The wild um, ride, obviously. I think, I think I'm leaning towards Dr. Lindsay says, what? But That's I don't know. good. We'll, we'll I like see. that. We'll see. All right. So thanks for being here. Um, appreciate it. Everybody, uh, you know how to get a hold of me. I'm not even going to remind you. Uh, so reach out to me. See y'all later. Sounds good. Thanks Bye. again.